Thank you. <clears throat> Good morning. Um, a little bit of allergies after that. Uh, I have, this is me personally, and a lot of us have been around for the last two years, I've been so uh, focused on starting a church and making sure like, that we do well in the first couple of years that sometimes I forget that this church, the plan is that it outlives all of us. And um, yeah, it's just neat to think of the next generation of people uh, that might step into this church or the church of Cincinnati or the church all across the world and um, thinking even that these little ones that we just dedicated are going to be church friends, which is crazy. I had church friends growing up and, uh, you know, you run around and play tag in the building and get lost and they will get lost here. And um, yeah, it's just really, really sobering to think um, this thing uh, Lord willing, will outlive all of us, and this is a, uh, a community of people that are going to grow up together and be in Kid City together and learn how to follow Jesus together. And so, um, thanks. Thanks for your commitment to us and um, our commitment to each of these parents. So, uh, I had a big week this week. I turned 33. Yep. My Jesus year. Uh, I celebrated by buying a Larry Bird jersey and duct taping my name on the back of it. So everybody deals with aging differently. Um, but uh, this has been such a wonderful year for me, and so much of it has been uh, the blessing of the addition to our family of baby Esther and seeing all the things that God has done in this church. And so, um, yeah, as I was just reflecting this a uh, couple days ago on my last year, thank you guys so much. This church is amazing. And, um, and I work here, so I, like, have to come here. But even if I didn't, I would be here because uh, the people that uh, we've gotten to know through this community have been incredible. And so I'm so thankful for this church. It was one of the things that I was even thanking the Lord for this week. Um, so let's talk about Jesus, right? That's why we're here. Um, we are going to be primarily in Acts 18, but it's going to take a little bit of time for us to get there. First, I want to do a little recap of what we are talking about, where we've been going. We are in the middle of this kind of nine-month thing called wholehearted, and it's based around this one phrase of uh, what if we could give our whole hearts to Jesus? What would it look like for us to wholeheartedly pursue who he is? And it comes out of a verse in Matthew 22 that Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, but really Jesus is just quoting something from Deuteronomy 6. And so in Deuteronomy 6, it's a famous Jewish prayer that uh, Jews still pray today. Jesus would have grown up praying this morning and night. It's called the Shema which just means here, and it goes like this. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. And so the Shema starts off with um, a theological statement saying, The Lord is one, there is only one God, and he is preeminent above all things. And then right after that comes the first command, and the command that Jesus identified as um, the, the number one, the, the most important, the, the law we have to get right which is love the Lord your God with all of your heart. And, uh, and that word heart has a deep Jewishness to it. And so we hear it in 21st century America, and it still carries some weight with us, but the heart uh, to the Jesus follower, 
2,000 years ago, or to the Moses follower 4,000 years ago, would have had so much more connotation than even what we have now. The heart was the center of everything. We didn't have the biological information that we have now, and so the heart was the center of your thought life. It was the center, literally, of your body. It controlled your actions. It controlled um, the way you treated other people. It controlled the things that you did. The heart was the center of everything, and so when Jesus and Moses both said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, it was an all-encompassing statement. And so what we're doing is, and this is kind of a window into my brain, is like how do we systematically look at the areas of our life and figure out how do we better follow Jesus in that area because the heart is all-encompassing. And so how do we address following him in each area? And so we're starting a new series today on our health. So wholehearted health. And we want to talk about how do we love God with our relational health, with our physical health, with our mental health, and with our vocational health, because Jesus cares about those things. They are not secondary to him. He's not like, no, I just need you to like pray that prayer, and then we're good. Like, he cares about your mental health. He cares about your body. He cares about what you put your hands to for 20, 30, 50 hours a week, and he definitely cares about our relationships. So this morning, we're going to talk about relationships, and every single one of us falls into two romantic categories of either married or single. Um, So married or unmarried. And I know everybody loves a sermon on singleness. Everyone's been like waiting for this one. Uh, Single people love to hear a pastor who's married talk about singleness. I know. I hope. I hope I can sway you. Um, And we're going to talk actually about both of those things this morning. And here's my number one goal before we get to how they interact in the church. I want to make a biblical case for both marriage and singleness being a viable way to follow Jesus. And I want to make a biblical case, and of course we would say, yeah, of course that's true. But um, sometimes, uh, at least I've heard, in the church you can feel like one or the other is less than. Specifically, I probably should get married as my next step in discipleship to Jesus. And I want to say that is absolutely not true. So, let's talk about singleness because, guys, singleness, um, not being married, can be really hard. Not being married in the church, unfortunately, sometimes is harder. Um, It's sometimes harder because uh, in some ways, uh, I've heard, you know, you can feel a little bit incomplete, but the world has an answer for that. The world says sleep around, but the Bible says, no, you can't do that. But then you can start dating, but the Bible says also, well, you should really guard your heart as you're dating. And so you throw yourself into your career, but you can't throw yourself too much into it because Jesus said you can't serve two masters. And there's some mom blogger out there promising that your Boaz is just around the corner. So... You end up attending church feeling a little bit less than while white-knuckling to remain sexually pure, casually dating someone but not too seriously, throwing yourself into work but not too much because you really want to love Jesus with everything, and that mom blogger had no authority promising you anything from Scripture. Sometimes being single in the church is harder than being single out in the world. I would love for that to be a little bit different here. Can I get an amen? Anybody? Guys, we want to make this place safe and amazing for both married and single people, and I hope that we're doing that. Um, one of my favorite parts of my job is uh, I, I love just meeting with anybody that's new around our church, and so if you're newer and we haven't gotten coffee or lunch, I would love to do that. And, uh, and I often ask people, hey, how did you hear about our church? Um, and it's always shocking, like, oh, people are talking about City Church. I just thought we were the only ones that knew about it. And, um, and inevitably, I hear three things more than anything else about what people are saying outside of this church about this community. 
Uh, number one, I hear that you have a lot of really creative people that go there, which is true. Number two, I hear that there is a high LGBTQ population at that church, which is true. And number three, I hear that that's a really good place to be a single person, which I love hearing. I love hearing. Those are far and away the three most common things I hear about our church. And so just as a side comment, um, as a minimally creative, straight, married person, I want to say thank you. (laughs) Thank you for welcoming me into your church. You've done so well. I am so grateful to be here. Um, Because sometimes I'm here and I'm like, how did this happen? And also, I know how it happened. If you looked at our business plan a few years ago of what we wanted this church to be about, all three of those things would have ended up on that piece of paper. And, uh, and so I love, I love that. And I love hearing uh, that last part, that uh, I've heard it's a good place for single people to go. I heard that that's like a good place for them to grow. And it's unfortunate that maybe that's not the case everywhere, but guys, we must get singleness right. We will not make uh, the married or the unmarried feel less than because both are equally equipped and uniquely positioned to serve God in his kingdom. First uh, Corinthians 7 Paul is talking about how he is unmarried, and he says, man, I wish that everyone would remain unmarried as I am. He says, I wish that everyone would be that way. So Paul actually affirms singleness. And so the number one, the first step, if you are unmarried, is to identify you are enough. And I hope you know that. You're actually enough, and I hope you feel affirmed to be enough to serve God's kingdom just the way that you are. You don't need a spouse to take your next step in Jesus following. Paul affirms singleness, and so does Jesus. Jesus, both through his lifestyle, a single male, and through his teaching, affirms singleness. Uh, This is a teaching on divorce, so we always want to take what Scripture says in context. So it's not a teaching on marriage, but Jesus says this in Matthew 19. Matthew 19, verse 12. He says, there are eunuchs, and a eunuch eunuch is a single person uh, that isn't quite all there, downstairs, and, uh, and um, so don't Google it, but uh, eunuchs were single people, and he says there are eunuchs who were born that way, so a physical deformity, there are eunuchs that have been made that way by others, so to serve in the king's court, if you're going to be around the queen, often an insecure king would make all males eunuchs, so there was physical deformity, there were those that were made that way, and then he says this, and this is so interesting, and then he says, and there are those who choose to live like eunuchs, For the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. And so that third category is not really any indication to anything physically, but it's it's someone that's choosing to live like a eunuch. It's someone that's choosing to live unmarried. And what's Jesus say right after that? He doesn't say, look, you've got to get married if you want to be serving in my kingdom. He says, no, if you can accept that, then you should. Because Jesus knew that there are kingdom advantages both to marriage and to singleness. Um, a side comment and a little bit of a can of worms. Scholars are debating on why Jesus was addressing that third category. Um, some people think that it is because he just knew that there was more time that single people had and they could serve the kingdom, the temple, the church better that way. Uh, a lot of scholars think that actually Jesus was addressing the LGBTQ community there. And he's saying, look, I understand that your attractions and your convictions don't line up. He says, if you can accept it, then you should. So Jesus, and again, we don't know exactly what he means there, but Jesus is saying, man, uh, potentially your attractions and your convictions don't line up, and so you're choosing to live in line with your convictions. 
And, uh, and I know that there are quite a few people that are in this church that are doing that as well. And um, I want to say that we see you, and we so honor you. We so honor the commitment. Guys, following Jesus costs everybody something. But there is a specific community that is giving up. I don't know if it's more than the average person, but it, that is giving up a lot. And so I want to say that we honor you so much in the decision that you're making. Going on, um, Genesis 2.18 and we know this is like a really common marriage verse, but it says, The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. But before Genesis 2.18 was Genesis 2.15, which says, The Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And so in my reading of Genesis, Genesis 2.15 before 2.18 means that God made us co-laborers with him before he gave us a spouse. So there was this ability to serve God before there was this ability to be married. And so in the reading of Genesis, actually marriage is not the first institution God gives, but work is. And co-laboring with God and co-stewarding his creation. So interesting. And so if you, are, um, if you are not married, and I know there's a whole population of different people, whether you're married and you don't want to be married, or you're, or you're single and you don't want to be single. You're widowed, you're divorced, you really have no desire to be married, or you really, really wish badly that you were married. I know there's all kinds of people fitting into that camp, but I want to say, I want you to invest right now in three things. First of all, it is worth investing in yourself. Nobody questions the married couple that goes on a marriage retreat. You should go on a personal retreat. Nobody questions the married couple that has a date night. You should... Uh, learn to actually enjoy time with yourself. Invest in yourself. Nobody questions the married couple that goes to marriage counseling. Therapy is a good idea for all of us. And so invest in yourself. Number two, invest in friends. Invest in friends. Jesus and Paul were, I would say, the two most influential characters in all of the Bible. And they were both single. But if you look at their life, they were constantly surrounded by friends that they loved and they trust. And they were living life and doing ministry with people that they loved and they trusted. It is absolutely okay to be single. It is not okay to be alone. It is okay to be single, but it is not okay to be alone. Number three, invest in the kingdom. The church, the capital C church, needs you. This church needs you. And we don't need you to be married. We just need the things that you have to offer as is. And so I know there are all kinds of people that are fitting into that category. I hope at least a little bit we see that there is a biblical case for you are perfectly equipped to serve the kingdom as you are. Marriage is not the next step in discipleship. Now, for married people, we know this, that once you get married, actually everything is totally fine. <laughs> um, actually, Mike Erie says this, every marriage on earth has irreconcilable differences. Amen. So marriage is not the end-all, be-all. Stanley Hauerwas, he is an ethics professor at Duke University. This is wordy, but I want you to stick with this quote because this is so good. He says, destructive to marriage is the self-fulfillment ethic that assumes marriage and the family are primarily institutions of personal fulfillment, necessary for us to become whole and happy. Marriage is an incredible, wonderful institution but marriage will not solve your problems. Putting your eggs in someone else's basket is not the, only, the, the right strategy to have. The key to a healthy marriage actually is 
hopefully starting by being healthy as a single person. Marriage will not solve our problems, but marriage is this incredible institution, and you are uniquely positioned also to serve the kingdom. Um, I wrote this down. I was doing all kinds of research and reading some books and blogs and everything. Here's the biggest thing um, that I found everybody was saying about being, uh, having a healthy marriage is, um, other than, I would say, pursuing Jesus together, but uh, spend more time becoming what you want and spend less time complaining about what you want. Spend more time becoming the kind of spouse that you want to be and spend less time complaining about what you wish your spouse would become. Um, for Esther's dedication, my in-laws are here. I have a really good relationship um, with my mother-in-law and hopefully still will after this story. Uh, seven years ago, we, Catherine and I, we were married for about two years at this time and we were living in Vegas. And our in-laws, my in-laws, Bill and Nancy, came out to visit. And guys, I remember exactly where I was. We were at Green Valley Ranch, this outdoor mall, south side of Vegas. And Bill and I, they were visiting in the summer. Bill and I were standing outside of anthropology <clears throat> for way too long. And I don't, I don't exactly remember what was said. I think we were complaining. For the sake of the story, we'll say it was him. And... Um, <laughs> And we're just, man, this is taking forever, such a long time, and, uh, and a couple comments were made, and I remember saying, Bill, it's crazy how slow Catherine is. Um, I've just been shocked at, like, how slowly she just moves through every area of life, and I said, look, here's the craziest thing that I don't understand, and this is a true story. Um, I said, we'll be driving somewhere, we'll be driving home, and we both know where we live, and I'll be driving and as we pull in, and it is almost like um, a phenomenon, the way that I do park a car and get out of it so quickly, but we'll be driving somewhere, and we know we're home. I know we're home, and so I will shift into gear as I unbuckle my seatbelt, open the door, spin move out, door brushes my right shoulder, close it with my left hand, two and a half seconds. I mean, it is something to be witnessed. And, uh, and so I'm quick, like, because we're home, so let's get inside. And... Um, I remember talking to Bill and saying, it's so crazy that I'll get out of the car so quickly, and Catherine, I'll look, I'll be halfway up the stairs to our apartment, and I'll look, and she'll just be sitting there in the passenger seat, just now starting to piece together, I should get my stuff. Um, and this could be a slight exaggeration, but I have the mic right now. And um, so I'll turn around, and she'll be sitting there, and it's like, I should get my chapstick. Where's my purse? Can you call my phone? And it's like, you knew we were almost, I thought that you could have done this stuff earlier. And, um, and I will admit that there were lots of complaints in those first couple of years of like, and probably some snide comments of like, are you shocked we're home? Did, did you not know where? I mean, again, not great. And I remember telling Bill this story and he said, oh yeah, Nancy's been like that forever. <laughs> and it hit me. Catherine's slowness might not be able to be trained out of her. It might be genetic. <laughs> he said, yeah, uh, Nancy will do the same thing. And I thought, okay, I've been in this for two years, and I figured, you know, it might take up to five to train this out of Catherine. You've been married for 30. This is probably my life. <laughs> and, um, and I have not been perfect since that day. I really have not. But I have made attempts to become more patient rather than complaining about Catherine being slow. Because honestly, 
the pace that she moves at is much healthier anyway. I've been uh, way more, I've tried to be more cognizant of becoming a patient husband rather than training my wife to be fast. And every now and then when I get frustrated, I'll just sing her a little song uh, to remind her that I'm ready to go, but also I want to be friendly. And millennials, you'll love this. I'll just sit next to her and I'll be like, slow motion for me, slow motion for me. Because she is, she's moving slow motion for me. Um, Don't Google that one either. Spend more time, married people, spend more time becoming the kind of spouse you want to become, not complaining about the kind of spouse that you want him or her to become. Because you are a part of such an amazing God-given institution. It is sacred. It's this beautiful covenant. It should be fun. In Genesis 2.24, it says, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. And the, the implication there is that there's a new family that is started because of a covenantal bond that you made before God. This is worth investing in also. Invest in your marriage. Go to counseling. Have a date night. Do a retreat. Your marriage is absolutely worth investing in. Also, go on an adventure. Do something together. Do ministry together. Start something together. Do things that you can actually face uh, shoulder to shoulder and look at something together so you're not always just looking at each other or at your marriage. Be outward focused in your marriage. And finally, also, you need to, as a married person, invest in friends. Singles, do not corner the market on loneliness. I would say, actually... We live under the guise that we have a built-in best friend. Of course, we'll never be lonely. Not true. If you are married, you need good friends. You need a good friend that is not your spouse. Invest in friendships because it's okay to be married, but it is not okay to be alone. Invest in your marriage and put your marriage where it belongs, which I would say is below your relationship with Jesus because you will be a better spouse if you prioritize your relationship in pursuing him. And I would also say you'll be a better parent if you prioritize your relationship with your spouse even above your kids. Because the best way you can love your kids is to have a healthy relationship with your spouse. Jesus, when he came onto the scene, he changed things. He changed, he didn't change marriage, but he changed the way that marriage interacted with culture. He changed the way that singleness was interacting with culture. And he created a new and beautiful family where they interact together. In Matthew 12, um, Jesus is teaching, and he gets interrupted because uh, they say that his mother and his brothers are outside, and they want to speak to him. And Jesus responds by saying, pointing at his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus widened the family that he was creating. Some would say that he introduced a new kind of family to the world. Nobody laughed. That's our mission statement, guys. Come on. Jesus widened the family. Also notice this. Jesus did not break down the nuclear family. He's hanging on the cross, and he's still making sure that his mom is taken care of. So Jesus didn't upend the nuclear family, but he did widen it. And he created a new structure where married people and single people and married with kids and divorced and widowed all are a part of this one big family serving his kingdom. He created a new kind of family that we get to interact and we get to partner with each other no matter what stage of life that we're in. I've never seen this before. We're gonna, this is going to be the last place we're going to be in Acts 18. This is crazy. I, we love the early church. We love the book of Acts. We did a really long series through it. I've never seen this before, the way 
that married people and single people were partnering together to create a church. In Acts 18, it says, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. So this is in roughly about 49 AD. The, the Roman emperor is Claudius, and he is, he's rough, he's awful, um, an incredible racist, and he says, I want all Jews out of Rome, uh, religious and um, ethnic. And so all Jews have to leave Rome, including this new Christian who is um, Jewish by birth named Aquila. And so they leave, and this young couple, they're both believers in, in Jesus, the, the new way of following Jesus, and they end up in Corinth, and Paul, this legendary apostle, takes them under his wing and starts to invest in them and takes care of them or mentors them in the faith. But it wasn't just Paul pouring into uh, uh, this married couple. It says also Paul then lived with Aquila and Priscilla for 18 months. They lived together and did ministry together. It goes on and say in verse 18, Paul stayed in Corinth for some time and then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Guys, Paul's at the height of his ministry right now. He could have chosen anyone. He could have chosen another single person and he did. He traveled with single people too. But he chose this young, zealous married couple to continue to do ministry with. And they go there and they start a church. Now, at this point, this is a confusing way to run an organization. Because the world says the best kind of organizations are run top-down, strong, command the weak, weak, serve the strong. But actually, it seems like there's this weird, mutually beneficial relationship going on between this single guy and this married couple. And ministry and the kingdom is flourishing because of it. See, the world would say, no, top-down leadership is the best kind of way to go. But the kingdom says, actually, I think I think everyone has something to bring to the table. I think no matter where you are in your relationship, you have something to bring to the table. And there's this beautiful picture of married and single serving and starting churches together in this new way of following Jesus. I wonder if there are kingdom advantages to both. And I wonder if God has designed his church to be stewarded by both people in marriage relationships and that are not in marriage relationships. Goes on, um, and they move to Ephesus, and they start a church there. And if you read through Acts 18, Paul's there for like two verses. He spends almost no time there, and he leaves, and he leaves the church in the capable hands of Priscilla and Aquila. The church he started, and he hands it off to them, and it says the church ended up meeting in their home. Guys, this is a really influential church. This is Ephesus. This is like my favorite pastoral epistle. This is Ephesus, the, the place that Timothy, that legend, was a pastor at. This is Ephesus, the place that Paul ends up coming back to and spending more time there than anywhere else. It, this is an influential church. This is Ephesus. This is the place that it's regarded that John, the best friend of Jesus, and Jesus' mother, Mary, ended up moving to. This is Ephesus, the place that Jesus wrote to, wrote a letter to in Revelation. This is an incredibly influential church. And this church was a product of married and single doing ministry together. Isn't that crazy? So crazy that this church was stewarded 
and started by a married couple and a single guy. It goes on, Acts 18, 24 says, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he only knew about the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him into their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. So seemingly, this single guy, Apollos, we don't know a whole lot about him other than he comes from Africa, and he is a great preacher. Like, that's the number one thing we know about Apollos. This is like the Stephen Furtick of our generation, the, the Tim Keller, the T.D. Jakes, the Chris Marlin, the Matt Chandler of our generation. That wasn't, that wasn't a joke, so, okay. And we see this now seasoned ministry couple taking this single zealous guy under their wing and instructing him in the way more accurately. And then it says in 1 Corinthians 3 that Apollos actually goes back to Corinth, that church that Paul, Priscilla, and Aquila started. And he does ministry there. Guys, the, the New Testament, specifically the book of Acts, is littered with stories of married and single working together to see God's kingdom expanded. Priscilla and Aquila didn't write Paul off for being single and say, well, you know, he probably has a little bit less to offer. Paul didn't write Priscilla and Aquila off of saying, well, you know, the stress of marriage and family life is probably too much for them to take on ministry. No, they chose to partner together and they created something so beautiful. In the early church, the church that we idolize so much, the church that we do want to become like, the early church is an incredible example and a product of married people and single people working together. In Paul's, um, one of his final letters to Romans, um, so he's writing back to the church in Rome, he's making some greetings at the end of his letter, and wouldn't you know it, but Priscilla and Aquila are back home. And in verse 3 he says, I want you to greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. All the churches in that world should be grateful to these two, Paul says. And the literal translation, if you actually look at the Greek there, they risked their lives for me, it says they submitted their own throats to the knife. And we don't know where that happened. There's no record of of where Priscilla and Aquila chose to potentially give up their own life in defense of Paul. We have no idea where that is. We don't know what was happening, but we do know why. We know why. We know it's because the gospel is worth it, and the kingdom is worth it. And seeing the church flourish and seeing people come to know Jesus is worth it. We don't know what was going on, but we know that Priscilla and Aquila had such a kingdom-minded marriage and a kingdom-minded view that they were willing to sacrifice their lives in defense of one of their brothers. What a beautiful picture of the kingdom of God. What a beautiful picture of the church. And we see them over and over again doing ministry together. The, the band can come back up. And uh, in, in the church or in Christendom at times, um, it's just easy sometimes for married people, for us to get wrapped up in our spouses in our relationships or with our kids. And um, guys, that is not wrong. It is just not complete. And uh, in an unmarried stance, sometimes it's easier to get wrapped up in your work or in your own life. And actually, that's not wrong either. 
It's just not complete. The call of the gospel is for us to be totally wrapped up in Jesus and his kingdom. And Jesus affirms both marriage and singleness as a viable way of serving him. And so his call to us is how wrapped up in his kingdom can we get? How obsessed with following him can we get in whatever relationship status we're in right now? And so we want to get wrapped up in Jesus. It's the call of this church. And I know right now maybe marriages are hard or it's hard being single or you're recently out of a relationship. And we want to say that that's real and we do see you and we want to partner in prayer with you. And so we're going to go into worship and I want our response to be um, threefold. And again, we want people to move around this room. We encourage it. The front is going to be open. If marriage is going difficultly or it's not where you want it to be or maybe you're not happy with being single right now or you wish you were married, um, it's okay to just come and kneel and lay that down at the altar. There's going to be people on all four corners of the room and they want to pray for you. Do not come in and leave with the same burden that you came in with. It does not have to be a crisis to get prayer. And also there's going to be the Lord's table at all four corners. Anybody that's a believer in Jesus can take it. Take it on your own. Take it with your spouse, your family. Take it with your friends. But we want to respond to the Lord in a way that signifies Jesus. We are so wrapped up in you. More than my singleness, more than my marriage, we are wrapped up in you. And so let's respond as the Lord leads you today.